Hello and welcome to edition number 1891 of the Whitney Talking News, which we are recording in the High Street Methodist Church in Whitney on Thursday the 25th of November 2021. I'm Bridget Walton and I edited this edition. Beside me at the recording controls we have Rob Oxpring. This week we have an item about saints in the form of firemen. It's very short. And, regrettably, several items about sinners. Our four readers are John Ashwell, Marnie Leach, Nigel James and Anne Trelure. So let's have our first story, which is read by John, and is a disappointing one for a couple in Ensham. Yes, it's headed, Plans to turn old pub into home rejected by council. Proposals to turn a Grade 2 listed pub into a house has been refused. An application was submitted to West Oxfordshire District Council to transform the Newlands Inn in Ensham. The applicant, Jeremy and Anne Woodin, have run the pub since January 2009, and in August 2012 its restaurant closed due to it running at a severe loss. A planning statement says the pub tenant went bankrupt in May 2013, with Mr and Mrs Woodin running it until it was leased in April 2015. The applicant, Mr and Mrs Woodin, are now of pension age and have an elderly parent who requires full-time care. The applicants now wish to retire and occupy the property with their parent for use as a residential dwelling. The planning statement added that there is still the White Hart the Queen's Head and the Red Lion, all within 500 metres, in addition to various restaurants and takeaways. Meanwhile, other Ensham pubs have closed, with the Railway Inn converted into flats and the Star Inn demolished and replaced with housing. Councillors, however, refused the plans to turn the Newland Inn into a house. A WODC decision notice read, It has not been sufficiently demonstrated to the local planning authority that the existing use is no longer viable and is incapable of being made viable or adapted to retain a viable service or facility, including as a community-run enterprise. A robust marketing exercise has now been submitted. Upon consultation for the application, Will Barton, WODC's Business Development Officer, said... Ensham is a rapidly growing community and it is clear from the other comments received that there is a strong desire in the village to retain the Newlands Inn as a pub for the community. Oxfordshire County Council, as a local highways authority, did not object to the granting of planning permission. Marnie's article is especially for people who need to keep their wellies to hand. Help for districts' properties at risk from flooding. <clears throat> people, at, people in at-risk areas of West Oxfordshire are being provided with information to help prepare for flooding over the winter. Norman McRae, Cabinet Member for Environment, said, Unfortunately, we are seeing more extreme weather events which are causing flooding across West Oxfordshire and impacting homes and businesses. On our website, we have provided information on how to prepare a personal flood plan. 
how to sign up to receive flood warnings and what to do in the event we do get a flood. For those without internet access, information will be available in our Whitney offices. I would encourage anyone who has experienced who has experienced flooding in the past or is in an at-risk area to look at the available information and get their home or business ready should the worst come to pass. The campaign follows this month's flood fair held in Whitney when people were able to speak to the district council, county council, Thames Water and the Environment Agency. Households can collect free sandbags in emergencies from 13 locations. See westoxen.gov.uk forward slash flooding for details. Now, Nigel has an item concerning a smelly and recurring problem. This one is headed, Cautious Welcome for Rivers Pledge by Water Firms. Water companies are at the centre of a major investigation by the financial and environmental watchdogs after they admitted they might have illegally released untreated sewage into rivers and waterways. The Environment Agency and Ofwat investigation will involve more than 2,000 sewage treatment works, with any company caught breaching their legal permits facing enforcement action, including fines or prosecutions. Fines can be up to 10% of annual turnover for civil cases or unlimited in criminal proceedings. The Environment Agency asked water companies to fit new monitors at sewage treatment works to make sure the right levels of water are being treated before overflows are allowed to enter the environment. Following this, several water companies have now revealed that many of their sewage treatment works might not be compliant. Emma Howard Boyd, chairman of the Environment Agency, said, Any water companies in breach of their permits are acting illegally. Only now, just before new monitors are installed, have companies reported concerns over potential problems. She added, I would like to see the levels of penalties for corporate environmental crime in England go up significantly. More attention should also be paid to the directors of companies that are guilty of repeated, deliberate or reckless breaches of environmental law. Such directors should be struck off and in the most grievous cases given custodial sentences. Ashley Smith, chair of Windrush Against Sewage Pollution, WASP, a campaign group seeking to end water industry pollution, said the crackdown was welcome. He said, It's interesting to see the Environment Agency shamelessly claiming to have discovered what has already been spectacularly exposed by the media and the analytical work of Windrush Against Sewage Pollution. Campaigner Professor Peter Hammond said... Now we'll have to watch as an opaquely-led agency which claims to be so under-resourced that it cannot even deal with a tiny fraction of offences wrestles with something of of this magnitude. Our fourth reader, Anne, has a report from the coroner's court. Trailer flipped on bridge. 
causing fatal river plunge. A couple from Oxfordshire were killed when their 4x4 vehicle plunged from a motorway bridge in South Africa. An inquest has been told. Charity Chief Executive Christopher Naylor, 57, and Christ Church Cathedral School Head of Science Susanna Naylor, 54, of Shipton under Witchwood, were on their way back to the airport on October the 26th, 2019, when tragedy struck. The county's coroner's court last week heard the couple were passengers in a Toyota Hilux on the N2 motorway in Blue Water Bay near Port Elizabeth when the right rear suspension attachment of a green trailer it was towing failed. The Toyota went out of control, crashing into a Chrysler neon sedan, then tumbling over the barrier of the bridge and into the Swartzkop River below. A post-mortem examination by South African authorities concluded that Mr and Mrs Naylor had died as a result of injuries suffered in the crash. Another passenger, Wilkshire woman Miranda Harris, also died in the incident. Her husband Peter, then 57, was the survivor of the crash. He told police he had no memory of what happened. The nailer's son, Sam, told the inquest that Mr Harris had said to him that it had been windy on the morning of the crash. Recording a conclusion of road traffic collision, senior coroner Darren Salter expressed his condolences to the family. Mum seeks clarity over drowning. The mother of a teenager, Nicola Saunders, who drowned in Ducklington Lake, has told a pre-inquest review statements are not adding up. The review used to plan for a full inquest has been held after the death of the 13-year-old from Whitney. Nicole died on July the 18th at the John Radcliffe Hospital after drowning at the lake. A death certificate provided by doctors gave the cause of death as cardiopulmonary arrest due to drowning. Nicole's mother, Amanda Holmes, told the review the possibility of gross negligence or manslaughter needed to be examined. She said the statements are not adding up. I feel there was no intention but actions strongly contributed to her death. I think people need to be spoken to again. I don't think three adults should have been looking after four children in an area where there was there were two drop-offs in the water. Senior corona, sorry, senior coroner Darren Salter said Nicole's death was an extremely sad and tragic incident. Outlining why the review was taking place, Rather than a full inquest, Mr Salter said there were a variety of reasons, including evidence relating to adults looking after the children potentially smoking cannabis. Miss Holmes called for the lake to be dredged and filled after her daughter died. Her online petition, created on charge.org, calling for No More Lives Lost to Ducklington Lake, gathered 659 signatures. 
Ms. Holmes said Nicole was standing no more than waist deep in the lake with her sister and family friends when its bed broke away from underneath her and she fell into the water. Emergency services searched for 25 minutes to find Nicole, but it was too late to save her once she was found, her mother said. Miss Holmes paid tribute to her beautiful, talented and caring daughter and hoped the lake would be closed off to the public to stop other children from losing their precious lives. Whitney Town Council said, We completely understand the desire to do something tangible to prevent any further loss of life. And indeed, this is our priority too. Given the number of similar flooded pits, rivers and other accessible areas of open water and the hidden dangers that all of them pose, it feels that the most meaningful course of action is for us to work with the rescue services and schools to roll out an education programme. The council is also looking to create a Lido in Whitney to provide safe outdoor swimming. Our next headline is Help Please Pour In to Bikes Batman. An anonymous crime fighter is on a mission to stop the recent scourge of bike thefts in Whitney. The nameless detective has set up a website where people can send details of where and when their bike had been stolen so he can spread the word and increase their chances of getting it back. He said, Please report all bike thefts to the police so they are aware of the massive bike crime in Whitney at the moment. He quickly got a range of responses to his message from people wanting to trace their stolen cycles. In a statement, the police said, Thames Valley Police take all reports of this crime type seriously and will investigate when such reports are made. Local officers also conduct bike marking events for the public, details of which can be found on our social media channels before they take place. Building company targeted by Night Raider taking tools. A builder's merchant has shared CCTV images of a Burgundy Volvo they believe was involved in a burglary at its site. It happened between 1am and 3am on Tuesday last week when a group of four men broke into AK Tim's. The vehicle involved was possibly a 2008 Burgundy Volvo S40, likely with stolen plates. Thames Valley Police said, We received a report of a burglary in Station Road, Bryce Norton, at around 3am. Offenders forced entry to a building and power tools were taken. An investigation is ongoing. Anyone with information can call 101. And now for three short items. Firstly, church storeroom is the heading. Congregational Church in Whitney is seeking to turn a vacant retail unit at 33A High Street, Whitney, into a storeroom for use by the Scouts and the Church. 
The temporary change of use from retail to equipment storage is for use by Whitney Buttercross School uh, Scout Group. The proposed development would involve no internal or external alterations to the existing premises. And secondly, it's headed Fuel Heist Lorry Convoy. Two vehicles are thought to have been involved in a fuel theft in Bryce Norton. Thames Valley Police, West Oxfordshire, is seeking witnesses who saw a white lorry with blue slide curtains and a blue BMW which may have been travelling in convoy on Saturday, November the 6th, between 1am and 3am in Station Road. Officers asked if anyone has any information, they should please contact telephone number 101. And coronavirus case rates notably reducing now. COVID-19 cases <coughs> rates in the county are notably reducing, according to Oxfordshire County Council's Director of Public Health. Ansav Ashar told the Council's Health Improvement Partnership Board that case rates have declined and vaccinations among children were con- continuing to have a positive effect. However, he warned there had been a significant rise in cases among children aged 10 to 14. He said, fortunately, with the rise in vaccinations in children, where in Oxfordshire we have a particularly high uptake, we're seeing increased immunity. We are seeing a slight increase in the 5 to 9 age group. This age group is not vaccinated, so we are seeing these increased case rates. Mr Azhar also urged people to continue going to hospital in order to look after their health. He said hospitals are open as usual, so please take care of your health. Two more short items. Theft of toothbrush. A man has been sentenced for the crime of stealing a toothbrush from a shop in Oxfordshire. Andrew James Silver, 39, of Haley Road, Whitney, stole a Phillips toothbrush costing £180 from Boots on April the 7th. Silver appeared at Oxford's Magistrate Court on July the 21st, it has emerged. At the hearing, he was ordered to carry out 60 hours of unpaid work in the next 12 months. He must also attend appointments with an officer for 25 days. Silver was also ordered to pay a victim surcharge of £95. To be green, we should be using bamboo toothbrushes, not electric ones. TikTok star gathers up 3 million views with rail ride. TikTok star Francis Bourgeois, well known for his train spotting videos, has visited Blenheim Palace this week. In his video, which has been viewed more than three million times already, he films himself driving a miniature steam train on a mission to honk its horn a hundred times as it goes under a tunnel at the historic palace. 
Our next item is headed, Elderly Must Stay Warm. Friends of the Elderly, a charity that runs care homes, daycare services and a grant-giving service for older people living on low incomes throughout England, has launched its 2021 Winter Warmth Appeal. When temperatures fall below 8 degrees centigrade, that's 46 degrees Fahrenheit, older people can be vulnerable and susceptible to an increased risk of heart attacks, strokes, flu, pneumonia and in extreme serious cases of low temperature hypothermia. Mark Wilson, Friends of the Elderly's Engagement Director, said, Every day we receive downhearted and discouraged calls from many older people who may be living on their own, who are desperate for help and support, and they're living in unsafe conditions or facing dire situations. Sometimes they have nowhere else to turn, and Friends of the Elderly is their last and only hope. For details, see fote.org.uk. Fire crews nets biggest total yet for children in need. Fire and rescue service staff in Oxfordshire raised a whopping £27,000 for BBC Children in Need and believe they might have set a new record figure. After last week's annual BBC fundraising campaign, the service tweeted... Huge well done to everyone who has helped. Crews, friends, family, businesses that have donated. And most importantly, everyone who put money into our buckets. Well done Bampton, Bister, Goring, Wheatley, Woodstock and Didcock Fire Stations. Badger chaos now plaguing Clarkson. Animal welfare charity the Badger Trust has written an open letter to Jeremy Clarkson after he spoke of his hatred for the creatures. In an interview with The Guardian, the ex-Top Gear host turned farmer talked about how his farm has been plagued with badgers that constantly urinate on his grass. The interview said, Over early morning coffee at his Oxfordshire farmhouse, Jeremy Clarkson is talking about his new nemesis, badgers, and the fact that they are constantly urinating, usually on his grass. Jeremy explains, If they've got TB and a cow eats that bit of grass, then you, the taxpayer, pays for that cow to be killed. A quarter of the world's badgers live in the UK, causing chaos. But if you say, I'm going to shoot a badger, you can expect to find your house on fire within 10 minutes. Carrie Johnson is a badger enthusiast, so the government aren't likely to do anything while she's running around. Badger Trust Acting Executive Director Dawn Varley said many of its supporters had already, sorry, had alerted the organisation to this offensive diatribe. She said to find amusement in the ongoing senseless slaughter of, of badgers is a new low. Grow up, Jeremy. Educate yourself and try to coexist with nature whilst we still have it. In an open letter, Ms. Varley takes him to task over his statements. She writes, You state that badgers constantly urinate. They don't. That a quarter of the world's badgers live in the UK. 
There are several different types of world badgers. Ours is the European badger, Meals Meals, or Miles Miles, with second, uh, with around half of the UK. But nobody is really sure of the numbers. So no, that's not right. And that they cause chaos. When was the last time you saw a badger causing chaos? Or just saw a live badger for that matter? You blame badgers for the spread of TB. It's BTB, bovine tuberculosis, a respiratory disease mainly affecting cattle. And state confidently that the government aren't likely to do anything about this, whilst Carrie Johnson is a badger enthusiast and she's still around. The charity tells the TV star that the government has been culling badgers since 2013 and with plans to continue mass culling until 2025, so they are certainly doing something. Disease control focused on cattle and improved farm biosecurity would go a lot further than continuing to kill badgers for a problem they are not responsible for. We would be happy to meet with you to educate you on badger ecology, on the role badgers play, it's a very small part, in the BTB disease transmission equation and on how we believe farmers can and should do more to tackle the problem themselves. If the government put the taxpayers' pounds into cattle measures versus the badger cull to address BTB, then the fate of farmers who have to deal with this devastating disease would be on a much better trajectory than at present. As a farmer, surely you want that. Jeremy Clarkson was contacted by the Oxford Mail for a comment. And he really does make sure he stays in the news. Clarkson's Yarn, a star unveils book on farming. Global TV star and local farmer Jeremy Clarkson turned up at a Chipping Norton bookshop to sign copies of his new work, Diddly Squat, a year on the farm. People queued to meet the motoring journalist and quiz show host whose foray into farming has proved a big hit with Amazon Prime viewers this year. But there was a no selfies or posed photographs rule in place at the event. Patrick Neal of the Jaffe and Neal bookshop in Middle Row said... Jeremy was on sparkling form and we had hundreds of happy people. A really great chippy event. Caleb Cooper, his co-star in Clarkson's Farm, jokingly said on his Instagram he was not happy about how Jeremy refers to him in the book. Holding up a copy in a video, he captioned the post... I read and reviewed my first ever book. He quipped, So I've discovered what this is. This is a book. And I've read my first ever book. Jeremy Clarkson's Diddly Squat, A Year on the Farm, which is out today, by the way. Now, he refers to me as a tractor driver. Not too sure how I feel about that. I like to think of myself as the farm manager, 
as it is Caleb's farm, of course. Give it a read. Let's hope you learn something. Caleb sent fans of the show into a frenzy when he shared a behind-the-scenes shot of filming for Series 2, which is now well underway in and around the farm in Chadlington. Our next article comes from Michelle Mead's district dossier, and Michelle Mead is West Oxfordshire District Council leader. And it's headed, Support Our Shops and Have a Greener Christmas. It's about a month until Christmas, and if you're like me, your Christmas shopping activities are in full swing. Across our district, you'll find that our local independent shops carry most, if not all, of your needs, from Christmas lunch platters to gifts for everyone in your family. There are more than 350 small businesses and charities in West Oxfordshire, offering a range of goods and services from wine and baked goods to beauty and health treatments. Many of them will offer vouchers, which are always welcomed as a gift at Christmas time. Although it may be tempting to shop online, it's worth considering the benefits of supporting the local shops on your high street this season. Shopping locally boosts our local economy, reduces our carbon footprint and is a great way to discover hidden gems that are around us. The following deaths were announced in this week's Whitney Gazette. On the 6th of November, Stephen By, aged 65. On the 8th, Edward Smith, known as Ed, aged 56. On the 9th, Anthony Robert Davis, known as Pops or Robbie, aged 81. On the 11th, James Bernard Williamson, aged 77. On the 12th, Margaret Frank, aged 96. On the 15th, Aero Ann Clark, Nee Buckingham, aged 83. Also on the 15th, Lindsay Sterling, aged 95, who was a former vet at Farm Mill Lane Surgery, Whitney. And on the 17th, Robert Michael Odie, of Phil Assarts, aged 81. Our condolences to families and friends. And now the quiz from last week. The first question was, which animal is the national symbol of South Africa? And the answer is a springbok. Second question, who became Mrs. Michael Douglas in 2000? And the answer, Catherine Zeta-Jones. Which water-living mammal is also known as the sea cow? And the answer, the manatee. That's M-A-N-A-T-E-E. What colour sari is worn by an Indian bride at her wedding? Red. And lastly, if you ordered pamplemousse in a French restaurant, what fruit would you get? And the answer, grapefruit. I have one notice to give out this week. And it's an invitation from the Torch Fellowship. And it's to go to their meetings, which occur on the first Saturday of the month in the Welcome Church at 2 o'clock 
the Welcome Church in High Street, Whitney. Um, but uh, new welcome, members are, are welcome, and the contact number is 01993-891-639. And if you're thinking of going in January, that meeting is on the 8th of January, rather than the 1st um, Saturday of the month, which of course is New Year's Day. And the Torch Fellowship has a short service and tea and chat and sometimes activities and designed for people with visual impairment. So there are often documents and hymns in Braille and in large print. And it's a very warm welcome for anybody who would like to go to that. We don't have any birthdays this week, but I've prepared just a little bit for you. Uh, I reread Elizabeth Gaskell's Cranford recently to check on the way the narrator's hostesses ate oranges in the 1820s. I had misremembered. I thought they ate them in the bath, but I must admit that doesn't sound very likely, and I was indeed wrong. But what they did do, the unmarried daughters of the late vicar of Cranford, Miss Jenkins and Miss Matty, when they did have oranges to eat, they liked to suck them rather than eat them, and... They did this in their rooms, not at the table, because the noise of sucking was considered indelicate. But on the culinary front, the visit by Miss Matty, her friend Miss Pole, and the narrator to an elderly farmer is really more entertaining. The elderly farmer, Mr Holgate, had been Miss Matty's beau at one time. But here's an extract. We had pudding before meat, and I thought Mr Holbrook was going to make some apology for his old-fashioned ways. They began, I don't know whether you like new-fangled ways. Oh, oh, not at all, said Miss Matty. No more do I, he said he. My housekeeper will have these in her new fashion. Or else I tell her that when I was a young man, we used to keep strictly to my father's rule. No broth, no ball. No ball, no beef. I think a ball is a dumpling. And we always began dinner with broth. Then we had suet puddings, boiled in the broth with the beef, and then the meat itself. If we did not sup our broth, we had no ball, which we liked to deal better. And the beef came last of all. And only those who had done justice to the broth and the ball had the beef. Now folks begin with sweet things and turn their dinners topsy-turvy. When the ducks and green peas came, we looked at each other in dismay. We had only two-pronged black-handled forks. It is true the steel was as bright as silver, but what were we to do? Miss Matty picked up her peas, one by one, on the point of the prongs. Miss Pole sighed over her delicate young peas as she left them on one side of her plate untasted, for they would drop between the prongs. I looked at my host. The peas were going wholesale into his capacious mouth, shoveled up by his large, round-ended knife. I saw, I imitated, I survived. My friends, in in spite of my precedent, could not muster up courage enough to do an ungenteel thing. 
and if Mr. Holbrook had not been so heartily hungry, he would probably have seen that the good peas went away almost untouched. I'm sure this wouldn't have occurred to any of them. I think it's probably Ogden Nash's method. I eat my peas with honey. I've done it all my life. It makes the peas taste funny, but it keeps them on the knife. Sorry. Quiz questions, 25th of November, 2021. 1. Cranford is based on the town of Nutsford. In which county would you find Nutsford? 2. Trollope's Barchester is a fictional city. On which three real cities is it based? 3. In which radio programme do characters visit Borchester? 4. With which weapon are yew trees associated? 5. Which part of a yew tree is not poisonous? Answers next week. And our next article is headed, New Gym Centre Leaps Into First Competition. A plush new gymnastics facility has hosted its first county-level competition. After 30 years running from a school hall, Carterton Gymnastics Club has moved into the vault earlier this year. Seven clubs from across Oxfordshire competed in an individual apparatus competition. Deborah Courtney Crane who at the beginning of the year was awarded the OBE for her services to gymnastics and young people in Carterton, was ecstatic that competitions are now taking place at the vault. The gymnastics club director said, It's been an amazing journey, not only building a superb facility for everyone to enjoy, but working with our squad gymnasts preparing for this competition. They could not train for over a year, so they've only been back in the gym for eight months. Parents also were delighted to see their children competing at the purpose-built facility. Joe John said, Our daughter was so excited not only to be finally competing, with the last competition being cancelled due to COVID-19, but to be competing at the vault. It was such a fantastic afternoon to see the gymnasts from all the various clubs marching into the gym ready to start their competition. It was incredibly emotional. They were all amazing and should be incredibly proud of themselves. The Vault is a fantastic venue, just perfect for hosting such events. Vanessa McCready added, It was a lovely day, such a well-organised competition and a perfect space for spectators. The gymnasts all seemed to have a fantastic time and learnt so much from the experience. Paul Mills said, We are so lucky to have this wonderful facility for our daughter to train in. It was special to see her compete on home ground as a spectator. The venue was very comfortable and worked extremely well. The club itself praised the girls who competed and thanked all the volunteers and staff who ensured the day ran smoothly. Ewes hit by virus. 
Carl Robinson apologised to Oxford United fans after Saturday's game at Wigan Athletic was postponed hours before kick-off following a Covid outbreak in the squad. Seven used players tested positive for the virus that, that morning, forcing the Sky Bet League One clash to be called off at 11.30. The Wigan fixture will be rescheduled in due course and tickets carried over, but the news broke with many used supporters already travelling to the northwest. United called off the match in consultation with Wigan and the English Football League, which will review the circumstances of the postponement. Following on from that report, we have a later report. Infection is still there, warns the boss. Carl Robinson knows all too well that Covid is still very much part of everyday life. The Oxford United head coach was taking his side into last night's Skybet League One visit of Fleetwood Town, as we went to press, with seven first-team players isolating after positive tests. The U's committed to playing the fixture after no further cases were identified on Monday morning. It comes just a month after Robinson tested positive. The United boss revealed that his wife has now caught the virus as well. He said, we're still under very difficult circumstances right now, even though life's almost back to normal. I've seen the harsh reality firsthand over the last six weeks, with my daughter, myself and now my wife getting it over the weekend. It is real, it is out there. It has affected some of my players horribly, and some of them have just breezed through it. Simon Eastwood, Anthony Ford, Elliot Moore, John Mussino... Mark Sykes, Matty Taylor and Jordan Thornley are all isolating. They are the latest in a string of United players to catch the virus in recent months, leaving Robinson with no more than 14 first-teamers to pick from. The virus has also struck United staff, with youth team coach Darren Purse stepping in as goalkeeping coach for Wayne Brown, who was among those to test positive. We've been working on shape and tactics. I've tried to make it as simple as possible, Robinson said. My head of medical is down, my analyst is down, and my head of goalkeeping is down. We're working around the clock to make us as competitive as we possibly can be. Sparkling Christmas at Palace, well worth wait. Fran Way visits. I have wanted to go to Blenheim's Christmas light trail for so long. For years now, I've seen magical photographs of the stately home lit up with more than a million twinkling lights adorning the pages of the paper. But every Christmas, something comes up and I can't go. So this year, on a mission to tick some things off the bucket list, I decided to hunt down tickets. Joining me was my boyfriend, armed with his camera and zero expectations. I was so excited to get in and have a look round, but I was also very hungry. As we walked through the archway into the palace, 
a smiley man in a bright pink high-vis jacket asked if we knew where to go and what to do. Is there any food here? I asked, ready to eat my own arm. He laughed, nearly spitting out his tea, pointing in the direction of the Christmas market. There were rows and rows of wooden chalets offering more drinks and food than I knew existed. It smelled like good times, a sweet lingering aroma of chocolate and banana crepes and fried onions at burger vans. We both got a chicken wrap and went to find the start of the trail. It was busy, but in a good way. Quiet enough to walk around and take pictures, but not silent. The trail starts in the woodlands, illuminated in neon green and blue. It was 7pm at this point, so it was pitch black outside, and there was also a full moon. It winds through the historic grounds, every twist and turn another surprise. Each area had a theme, a giant tree with flashing lights and chirpy jingles, soon wound into a delicate bed of lit-up, colour-changing roses with slow music. I thought we'd reached the end of the experience when the path led to the back of the palace for a laser show, which we'd seen beaming into the skies on the drive through Woodstock. But the lakes were full of lanterns on fire, and there were more surprises to come. Every point of the trail was thought about, including a tennis court with a ball of green light zooming from one side to the other. There was even a little pit stop where Santa had arrived to say hello to the children. I don't want to spoil it all, but I genuinely can't recommend it enough. It's gorgeous and really special. My boyfriend, who had never even heard of it, loved it so much too. Am I kicking myself for never going before? Yes. Will I be returning? Double. Yes. Possibly even this year when I show my mum this story. For an extra charge, you can head into the palace for the Nutcracker experience. Each room is kitted out with a Nutcracker story and a little surprise. I think this part of the Christmas at Blenheim experience is better for little children or those who simply want to have a snoop at the inside of the palace. But for me, it worked well as a nice spot for pictures. Tickets cost £22.50 for adult entry to the Lights Trail or £16 for children. And there's a picture of the some of the lights. And the this particular one is a carpet of lights from the festive treats of Blenheim Palace. And it shows uh, rose, illuminated rose heads disappearing into the distance. And there must be hundreds and hundreds of lights there. Not terribly green. And I must say, I'm glad I'm not paying the electricity bill. 
The Whitney Gazette has a double-page spread of photographs of Aunt Sally players. Aunt Sally is a pub game almost unique to Oxfordshire. It is played in some adjacent counties too. There is a system of leagues with clubs competing to get a skittle-like doll knocked off a pole by an 18-inch thrown stick, usually in a pub garden. The origins of the game and vocabulary associated with it would need a longer article than we have time for in this edition, but the readers will describe some of the pictures. And we have the first picture is of the Hook Norton Brewery team. Eight gentlemen and a sub, all looking rather <laughs> pleased with themselves. And the next picture is a black and white one, I don't know how old it is, um, of Basil Collins from Abingdon, who was also known as Mr Aunt Sully. And he is surrounded by trophies that he's obviously won. The next picture is of two men smiling broadly because they've just scored 18 dolls. And it is something to celebrate because 18 dolls, a doll being knocking the dolly off the pole, 18 dolls is the maximum possible individual score in a competition. And then also there's a photograph of Brian Collins uh, with uh, one of the Aunt Sally sticks he's made and behind him are sets of six sticks because each player has six throws in each round of a competition. And I think Brian Collins has also taken on the title of Mr Aunt Sally. And it's panto time. Oh, no, it isn't. Oh, yes, it is. Rampunzel set for Panto Show. Let your hair down this Christmas at a panto of one of the cosiest theatres in the area. Chipping Norton Theatre is the home of the traditional family panto and were ranked nationally as one of the must-see pantos by The Telegraph in 2019, who described them as one of the dinkiest and most warmly enjoyable pantos in the land. This year's panto is Rampunzel, with knights and maidens, sword fights and sea storms, sweeties and sing-alongs. Poor Rampuzel has been stuck in a castle tower for 18 years, imprisoned by a witch's magical powers, but she's not the sort of girl to let that defeat her. With the help of her nanny, a charming yet cheeky prince and an awful lot of hair, she is going to escape into the big wide world. The show runs until January the 8th, 2022. Well, that's all we have time for. Please remove the memory stick from the playback unit and close the metal shield. Remember to reverse the plastic address label on the yellow pouch before posting it back to us. Please do so as soon as possible, as we sometimes run out of labels and pouches and are then unable to continue our service to you. Remember, if you wish to contact us, just leave a slip of paper in your pouch and we will telephone you. 
And also remember that the radio listings will be on after we've said goodbye. It only remains for me to thank the Whitney Gazette for the stories we have used tonight. Thanks also to our technical expert, Rob Oxpring, and our copiers, Marnie Leach and Nigel James, who are coppering the memory sticks and packaging them up for you. And thanks to our admin team, who have been checking the pouches and memory sticks you have returned and keeping records of this in our register. And they were Rachel Fielding and Lynn Hardy. And finally, our four readers. So thank you very much, John Ashwell, Marnie Leach, Nigel James and Anne Trelaw. I know everyone would like to say goodbye. And so until our next edition, goodbye. goodbye. Soundings. Features from across the UK. Now for a look at this coming week's radio highlights, starting with Saturday, November 27th. It's the final part of Radio 4's three-part drama, The Palaces. In the wake of her death, Lady Glencora remains a presence in her family. Plantagenet is bereft, but has to protect and guide his grown-up children. It's on at three o'clock on Radio 4. There's a new series on Radio 4 at 5.30, Political Thinking with Nick Robinson, in which he holds in-depth interviews with leading politicians. He talks to Labour Party Sakir Starmer in this edition about his life and career. Opera on 3 at 6.30 on Radio 3 is La Traviata. Cuban-American soprano Lisette Oropesa stars in Verdi's tragic masterwork recorded recently at the Royal Opera House. And in this cultural life features musician Dame Evelyn Glennie. She talks to John Wilson about becoming profoundly deaf at a young age and how she became the first full-time solo percussionist. It's on Radio 4 at 7.15. Sunday, November 28th, novelist Neil Gaiman is Lauren Laverne's guest on Desert Island Discs at 11am on Radio 4. In a home of our own, also on 4 at 2.45, Lindsay Hanley speaks to 39-year-old Chris, who purchased his Victorian terrace from Liverpool City Council under their £1 house scheme and explores what that says about the housing crisis in the UK. Drama at 3 on Radio 4, and it's a two-part comic novel by P.G. Woodhouse, Leave It to Smith. It's the 1920s and Smith is broke, after he advertises himself in a newspaper as open to any opportunity, he finds himself on the way to Lord Emsworth's mansion impersonating an invited poet. More drama, this time on Radio 3 at 7.30. Hugh Bonneville and Joanna Lumley head an all-star cast in a production of Richard Brinsley Sheridan's 1777 satirical comedy The School for Scandal. Scandalmonger Lady Sneerwell controls a nest of gossipy vipers, and young Lady Teasel, bored by her elderly husband, has been lured into their circle. Still on three, at 11pm to round off the day, music's inner vision, 
This is the first of two programmes in which singer Victoria Oruwari explores how blind and partially sighted composers are able to create music. On to programmes then that are broadcast each day, Monday to Friday at the same time. Same radio station, same time, every day, Monday to Friday. Book of the Week, 9.45 Radio 4, is Antwerp, The Glory Years. Michael Begley reads Michael Pye's portrait of the Belgian city during its 16th century heyday as a remarkably liberal centre for trade. At 12 noon on Radio 3, Composer of the Week is Emily Mayer, 1812-1883. Donald MacLeod explores the life and work of the German composer, who was known in her lifetime as the female Beethoven. Sorrow and Bliss, Meg Mason's portrait of the ups and downs of love, continues each day, just after noon, on Radio 4. At 1.45 each day on 4 comes Mail Order, an investigation of the unregulated online fertility marketplace where women seek donor sperm and men provide it. A donor and recipient want to know the other genetic half of their biological children. First broadcast in 1990, Dennis Waterman stars in Nigel Baldwin's political thriller Burnt. Leaving a glittering London party, Milky finds arson and bloodshed in the Welsh mountains. It's on Radio 4 Extra at 8.30pm all week, Monday to Friday. And on the 80th anniversary of the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbour and America's subsequent entry into the Second World War, Michael Goldfarb reflects on how American experiences of the war were substantially different from those of British people. It's the essay, Our Father's War, every night at 10.45 on Radio 3. On to the other highlights then for the rest of the week on Radio 4 at 2.15 on Monday, November 29th, is Father's Land in Mother's Tongue. After the death of her mother, Bradford-born Maya travels with her father to her parents' village in Bangladesh and discovers dark family secrets going back to the Liberation War of 1971, when Bangladeshis fought for independence from Pakistan. Beyond Belief at 4.30 on Radio 4, three Orthodox women discuss the reality and diversity of life for women of the Jewish Orthodox faith. The Wedding Detectives at 8pm on Radio 4 uncover the stories behind discovered wedding photographs and connect them with the relatives of the happy couple. This one is a picture on the internet of a Second World War bride and groom. The only clues to go on are the couple's first names and that of the chapel. And a couple of sporting moments on Radio 5 Live. At 9pm, when Micah met Carlos, Mark Chapman brings together former Premier League football defender Micah Richards and West Indies T20 World Cup winner Carlos Braithwaite. Followed at 10pm by the Project Ashes. Ahead of the Ashes cricket series, Jonathan Agnew goes behind the scenes with the England team. Tuesday, November 30th, last day of the month, of course. In Afterlives, at 11am on Radio 4, Two people with a shared experience come together. Martin and Zena were both children when their mothers left the family home in the 70s. In a frank conversation, they consider the legacy of being abandoned by their mothers and being brought up by single fathers. The Radio 4 drama at 2.15 is blend. On the night they had planned to try to conceive a child, mixed heritage couple Paris and Layla delve into their reasons for and against having a child together. Costing the Earth at 3.30, also on 4, is entitled Seeing the Wood for the Trees. It's estimated only 7% of the UK's native woodlands are in good ecological condition. Peter Gibbs finds out what is ailing our trees and how they can be nursed back to health. 
Also on Radio 4 at 4pm, Will of the Dump, writer and broadcaster Will Self tells the story of his black bin bag, following it from his back door to its final destination, a furnace on the banks of the River Thames. It's a Tuesday, it's In Touch with Peter White at 8.40 on Radio 4. Followed on Radio 2 at 9, Jamie Cullum presents his weekly jazz show, a broad spectrum of jazz music, including live studio sessions. Wednesday, December 1st, Professor Stuart Russell delivers the wreath lectures this year on the future of artificial intelligence, in turn terrifying, humorous, optimistic, but always illuminating. It's on Radio 4 at 9am for the first of his four lectures, beginning the last month of the year. Artificial intelligence is also the theme of Hannah Fry and Adam Rutherford's new series, Rutherford and Fry on Living with AI. They explore how far AI, artificial intelligence, already underpins our lives, imagining the functions it might provide in the future, and asking what challenges and risks lie ahead. Some light relief needed, I think, in the form of Hancock's Half Hour, vintage 1956 comedy on Radio 4 Extra at 12 noon, and repeated at 7pm, if that's a better time. The drama on Radio 4 at 2.15 is the final part of Stone, a detective story by Vivian Harvey. Following a series of suspicious deaths in the homeless community, DCI John Stone decides the only way to the truth is to go undercover on the street. Mark Steele's In Town is back for another series. This week he travels to the former coal town of Blythe in Northumberland, where he meets the locals and learns the town's history, and then reveals his findings with a comedy stand-up show. Radio 4, 6.30pm. And lastly, for Wednesday, December 1st, The Folk Show with Mark Radcliffe at 9 o'clock on Radio 2. Thursday, December 2nd, in the Exploding Library on Radio 4 at 11.30am, comedians explore and unravel their most cherished cult books. This week, Josie Long unlocks the secrets of Jean Rhys's 1939 novel, Good Morning Midnight. She pays homage to the tone and style of the original text while blurring the lines between fact and fiction. The Radio 4 drama at 2.15 is The Thing of Darkness by Anita Vitesse. A forensic psychiatrist assesses and treats perpetrators of the most unthinkable crimes. Followed at three on Radio 4 by Open Country. With minimal light, pollution on the Brecon beacons, it's possible to see nature as it once was, before the background glow of electric lights. Emily Knight explores the area at night by the light of the stars. And we round off the week with Friday, December 3rd, and the Radio 4 drama at 2.15 is Whoopsie. Mixed-heritage 15-year-old Ashley, who loves show tunes and performing, is fostered by mixed-heritage gay couple Ken and Victor. And soon Ashley is making the most of his new surroundings, but surprises lie in wait. The listening service at 4.30 on Radio 3 in the afternoon asks why a classical audience is so quiet. Tom's service looks at how modern audiences find any noise in the concert hall abhorrent. In a new series, Lem Cisse explores how poetry has become a place for anger, protest and passion. He traces the roots of revolution back to the 60s when the Liverpool poets started performing in bars and clubs. Guests Roger McGough and Brian Patton explain how the direct connection they forged with audiences changed poetry and opened up space for new voices to be heard. That's Lem Cisse's Poetry Rebels on Radio 4 at 7pm. And we round off the week with another new series, Screenshot, at 7.15 on Radio 4.
Film experts Ellen E. Jones and Mark Kermode explore a different theme each week in the world of film. Steven Spielberg's remake of West Side Story is due to be released on December 10th, and this week they look at the cinematic connections sparked by the original groundbreaking 1961 musical. It includes an interview with Rita Moreno, who's in both the 61 and 2021 versions. Should be good. That's it for this week. May I wish you a peaceful, safe and enjoyable one of radio listening. TNS Soundings. TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Hello, this is Val Bell with my selection of audio-described TV programmes for the week beginning Saturday the 27th of November to Friday the 3rd of December 2021. At last, Channel 4 appear to have solved their technical problems as their audio-described programmes are listed in this week's Radio Times. So we start with Saturday the 27th of November. Bargain Hunt is on BBC One at 1.15. Eric Knowles presents from Leominster in Herefordshire. On Film 4 at 4.30pm, one of my all-time favourites, White Christmas, starring Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye. There are three episodes of Midsummer Murders today at 4.55pm, 7pm and 9pm, starting with Sins of Commission. An author is murdered on the eve of the Midsummer Literary Festival. Some gentle comedy on BBC Two at 6.30pm with Dad's Army. Thanks to Pike, the platoon ends up stranded away from the mainland. Moneyball is on ITV at 7pm. Ian Wright hosts as three contestants take on the money-making machine The Launcher. Britain by Beach is on Channel 4 at 8pm. Anita Rani visits beaches in Yorkshire and Northumberland, including Whitby and Scarborough. Also on Channel 4 at 9pm, the concluding part of the documentary Empire State of Mind. Satnam Sangira explains how misunderstanding imperial history can lead to a confusion about national identity, fueling modern-day political conflicts. Casualty is on BBC One at 9.35pm. Retribution. As Rash's life hangs in the balance, Dylan fights to help a patient who struggled to advocate for herself. Now on to Sunday, 28th of November. Cornwall and Devon Walks with Julia Bradbury is on ITV at 1.40pm. A hike along the Dart Valley. A choice of films this afternoon. At 2.20 on BBC One, Nativity. A comedy starring Martin Freeman. Despite being traumatised by a bad review, Primary school teacher Paul Maddens is tasked with directing the annual nativity play. Or over on ITV at 3.15, Never Say Never Again, spy adventure starring Sean Connery as James Bond. Doctor Who continues on BBC One at 6.25pm. 
As the forces of evil mass, the Doctor, Yaz and Dan face perilous journeys and seemingly insurmountable obstacles in their quest for survival. Escape to the Chateau is on Channel 4 at 8pm. As the job of reslating the Chateau's roof continues, a huge area of attic is revealed. Two choices at nine o'clock. On BBC One, the final episode of Show Trial. Time is running out for Cleo and Talitha as the trial reaches its conclusion. This is the Radio Times pick of the day. Over on BBC Two at nine, the final episode of The Lakes with Simon Reeve. The adventurer explores the coast of Cumbria and is also given rare access to Sellafield, home to hundreds of ageing and disused nuclear facilities. Monday 29th of November. We start with the usual daytime programmes on BBC One repeated at the same time each day, Monday to Friday. Homes Under the Hammer is at 11.15, with properties in East London, Kent and Epping. Bargain Hunt at 12.15 is from Worcester, and Escape to the Country at 3 o'clock helps a couple returning from the US to find a home in Cornwall. In Doctors, which is at 1.45, Monday to Thursday, Karen goes on a date. There are two episodes of Poirot on ITV3 this afternoon, starting with Dead Man's Mirror. An art dealer is murdered, followed at 4.55 with the jewel robbery at the Grand Metropolitan. The Radio Times pick of the day is the new four-part series each evening from Monday to Thursday of Winter Walks at 7.30pm on BBC Four, starting today with Amanda Owen in Wensleydale and Raydale. MasterChef The Professionals continues at 7.35pm on BBC One. Two chefs are asked to make a prawn, avocado and pepper omelette. This programme continues at 8.30 after EastEnders. The final episode of The Outlaws is on BBC One at 9pm. Christian's nemesis and the police close in on him. Reconciliation becomes a possibility for Frank and Margaret, and Greg's obligations find him caught between disbarment and dismemberment. Also at 9, on More 4, Christmas at Chatsworth House behind the scenes at one of England's most impressive stately homes. Tuesday 30th of November. Holby City is on BBC One at 7.50pm. Eli is shocked when Amelia visits the hospital. A new series of Amazing Hotels Life Beyond the Lobby starts tonight at 8pm on BBC Two. Giles Corran and Monica Galetti don their thermals as they join the staff at the Ion Adventure Hotel in Iceland. Another new series on Channel 4 at 8pm, Sarah Beanie's New Life in the Country. Property developer Sarah and family are halfway through building an energy-efficient English stately home in the Somerset countryside. 
at nine o'clock on BBC One, Who Do You Think You Are? this week features former Labour politician Ed Balls. Over on BBC Two at nine o'clock, Impeachment, an American Crime Story, continues. At his deposition in the Paula Jones case, President Clinton flatly denies her accusations. But doing the same for the insinuations about Monica will prove to be risky. The final episode of Miriam and Alan, Lost in Scotland, is on Channel 4, also at 9pm. Miriam and Alan complete their road trip around Scotland by driving from Inverness to Edinburgh. Wednesday the 1st of December. Celebrity catchphrase is on ITV2 at 6pm. Stephen Mulhern hosts a Christmas edition of the quiz. Paul O'Grady for The Love of Dogs is on ITV at 8pm. Paul meets a gentle giant of a Great Dane who is looking for a loving home, along with a pair of bickering Lakeland Terriers who need to be taught to rein in their mischievous behaviour. Also at 8, Endeavour is on ITV3, Nocturne. A barbarous act in an Oxford museum leaves an elderly man dead. The Radio Times documentary of the week at 9pm on BBC One is Paddy and Christine McGuinness, Our Family and Autism, following the presenter and his wife over many months as they respond to the diagnosis of their three children with autism and discover what it means for their family. Over on BBC Two at 9pm, the final episode of Universe. The Big Bang, Before the Dawn. Brian Cox looks at the advances that have been made in our understanding of how the universe came to be. Thursday, 2nd of December. Tonight we have three choices at eight o'clock. On ITV3, an episode of Vera from series four, Shadows in the Sky. After Owen Thorpe plunges from the roof of a multi-storey car park while picking up his daughter from her school prom, DCI Vera Stanhope detects foul play. On Channel 4, Luxury for Less. Presenters Sabrina Grant and Sophie Morgan offer money-saving tips on luxury products such as cut-price designer fragrances, the best quality smoked salmon, and what you're getting if you buy cheaper gin rather than the big name brands. Also at eight on BBC Two, Mary Berry loved to cook. Mary combined two of her passions, the great outdoors and cooking, by meeting forager Craig Evans. The cookery theme continues this evening on BBC Two at 8.30pm with Nadia's Fast Flavours. Nadia shares recipes for lighter meals, including a butternut squash soup with spiced saffron. Master Chef The Professionals is on BBC One at nine. In tonight's heat, Marcus Waring asks the first two chefs to prepare and cook squid with a herb vinaigrette on toast and a red wine sauce in just 20 minutes. And finally, we come to Friday, 3rd of December. 
Garden Rescue is on BBC One at 2.30 this afternoon. Charlie Dimmock and the Rich Brothers compete to design a £6,000 Italian garden for a couple in Fairham, Hampshire. Agatha Christie's Poirot is on ITV3 at 3.50pm. Hickory Dickory Dock. A killer strikes at a student hostel. The comedy film Carry On Teacher is on film 4 at 5.05pm with Bash Street Kids style pranks and staff room infighting. Part 3 of Griff's Great New Zealand Adventure is on ITV at 8pm. Taking the ferry crossing from the north to the south island, Griff heads to the old whaling station on Queen Charlotte Sound, which remarkably still operated until the 1970s. There are two episodes from Series 3 of Doc Martin tonight, starting at 8pm with The Holly Bears a Prickle. After her first date with him doesn't go as planned, a drastic decision from Louisa prompts a response from Martin. The next episode follows at 9, Not So Queer. Martin tries to convince Janet Saul not to use a homemade potion on her sister. MasterChef The Professionals continues at 8.30 on BBC One. In tonight's quarter-final, the four chefs are tasked with creating a dish based on the theme of cheese. I hope you find something from my selection that you'll enjoy. TNF Soundings 